Hello, and welcome to the Subnormal Podcast. My name is Lauren, and this is a podcast where I interview artists with spiritual practices because what excites us artistically is also what feeds us spiritually, and sometimes the other way around. Today, I have for you a very lovely conversation with a beautiful artist from Roanoke, Virginia. Charlotte is a multidisciplinary artist whose work ranges from beautiful watercolors and mixed media to all sorts of writing, musings, world buildings. And this is something we speak a lot about is how all these different methods, whether it's writing, reading, making art, dancing, and more, all come together to help facilitate finding oneself. Charlotte's work is incredible in that there are so many layers to it. She is, I think, above all things, a facilitator of freedom. In our conversation today, we talk so much about how dance has connected her to her body, as well as helping her on her journey, and how art just in general is so vital in understanding who we are. Charlotte's visual art is ethereal, playful, intuitive, and exploratory. You can tell by just looking at her work that she is in conversation with the media that she uses. So whether that is acrylic paint, watercolor, ink, or pencil drawings, you find such a charm, little musings of magic, of grace and playfulness. And I think that's a beautiful reflection of Charlotte as an artist. I think for a lot of us, this conversation will be really helpful um, and just understanding how, even though you might start in one art form, it doesn't mean stopping there. Always expanding, always exploring, and always asking questions. So, before we dive in, of course, I highly recommend you check out her work. Um, you can find that, of course, always in the show notes, but you can also find her on her website, which is IamCharlotteTara.com and on Instagram, uh, which is B-O-D-H-I-T-E-R-R-A. I not sure how to, I think it's Bodhi Tara, but just in case I'm not pronouncing that right, that's what it is on Instagram. You can also see some of her work there. She facilitates art experiences and ecstatic dance. Um, and yeah, there's just so much, so much magic, so much art. And I think what I just love the most is the air of curiosity, how Charlotte is following that perpetually. 
And I think that's something that we all could be invited to do a little bit more. But of course, before we dive into this lovely conversation, a little bit of housekeeping, as always. <laughs> so if you want to help uh, support the podcast, which thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Um, if you want to help support, you can, of course, always share this episode or others with fans, family, family, Um and all of the like, or maybe someone you're not even friends with or you don't like. Share it with everybody. Um, As well as following on Spotify or any other platform you're listening through. That, of course, helps the algorithms there know that you like what we do, what me and my beautiful husband who's editing this I Love You do. Um, And just help promote it to more and more people, share the magic, share the artists, of course. And there is always the Patreon, which is also linked in the description box. Patreon forward slash subnormal child. That is me, Lauren, subnormal child. Um, I have a Patreon where I have monthly creative circles so if you're looking to get into art as a ritual on a monthly basis get that consistent um little bit of magic in there along with early access to the podcast episodes without the intros how lovely um that link will also be there for patreon but whether you just follow the podcast you share the podcast or you're a patreon patreon supporter just want to really thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Please make sure to support all of these artists that I share because that's really one of the main missions of this podcast is connecting people, connecting people with magic, but also just the magical humans of the world, which also includes you. Um, I'm just in a singing mood today. Um, anyway, sorry. <laughs> thank you so much again for being here. I love you. And let's just dive right in. I am currently working on getting some paintings ready to show mm. um, just at a local coffee shop. So I've been fortunate enough to have been invited to show some paintings there, and I've had some up for almost a year now, and I'm going to switch them out because it's time to do that. And that's, I was thinking to myself this morning, like, I need to stop creating art for a little bit and Mm -hmm. focus on selling what I have because I, I was actually like moved. I had to move a bunch of stuff earlier today and I'm just like piles, you know, like it's mm-hmm. quite disorganized and I'm moving this stuff and I'm like, Oh, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. So, um, I think sort of my big overarching project for the entire year is to like, move a little little bit more into the financial security side and the business application of what I do 
mm-hmm. instead of or in tandem with because I I compulsively create and I need that like it's you know we all eat and drink and sleep and some of us also make art and do mm-hmm. like for me if I don't do that um there's a part of me that's going to suffer and then Mm -hmm. the people around me are going to suffer so it's like if you didn't get enough to eat you know like I didn't make enough art today I didn't make enough art this week and um I don't operate very well um so unfortunately like for me the upper side of 40 some years being raised and living in a capitalist society and like trying to figure out what is that about (laughs) and so now Uh it's just like it's time to really I, I, I don't like words like monetize but it's time that I because I do produce a lot right and I have produced a lot and if I don't start moving some of it, then it's just, I'm kind of drowning in it. Right. <clears throat> That's a very, I think, familiar struggle for artists, especially prolific artists, is how to move your work and like get it out there. What is your method that you're going to be going about or strategy? That's the word. What's the strategy you're thinking? I don't think like that. See, that's my mm-hmm. problem. It's like, or that's my difficulty is like, I don't think in terms of method and strategy um, or I, I can, but it's very foreign to me. And it takes a lot of energy for me to think that way and to work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the strategies, I guess, that I'm using is to um, so I write as well. And I... I've always been into fantasy and like building worlds and my art is very fantastical. Um, and so one of the ways move that I'm, that I am moving forward is to channel the art output and the creative writing output together. Mm. Um, and what that looks like at this point in time, I think, is aiming for uh, role-playing game content, actually. So creating settings or a particular setting for people to play games in. Wow. Worlds for people to explore with their imagination, because that's fun. Yeah. No, that's very, I love how you're bridging those two things together um, because your work from what I remember and, and off the top of my head, there's people a lot of the time in your work. So is this like creating the world in which your subjects are living in? Yep. Because a lot, you're right. Like that's my artwork tends to be, and I've noticed that a lot lately like why don't I ever do animals and you know plants and things like that and I do but they're, if they they're there they're in the background you know mm-hmm. um 
So yeah, what comes through with the visual art is like these very vibrant expressions of character, these very vibrant human beings or semi-human beings, semi-human beings. And um, so my artwork tends to be like this immediate, like human expression. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm writing, I think I go more into the ambiance and the atmosphere and sort of like, well, really what it is, is culture building and like Mm. thinking about different ways that cultures could be and can be configured, which is also like a beautiful way to imagine our world, you know, like, Right. If I want to imagine a better world, you know, I can do that by projecting it onto the fantasy world. Of course, like with storytelling and fantasy, there's always conflict and drama. Um, so, but I'm I'm more interested in, in like, what are the kind of cultures arise what can culture look like in a way so okay for like concrete example um one of the aspects of this world that i'm envisioning and writing has to do with uh basically like rainbow children and like Mm. the the rainbow tribe like a whole bunch of different um expressions of hippie culture and Mm -hmm. coming together outside of the more mainstream there's it's like a magical technology sort of culture where they've like harnessed because I'm not, I don't think scientifically at all, but if I can say it's mm-hmm. magic, then that works. And so yeah. like they have things like refrigerators and electricity, but it's all magic, you know? It's like, well, how do they right. do that? It's not, it is electricity. They just pull the lightning out of the sky and they store it in giant crystals under their city. And then they just like turn that on. And that's, that's how that works. That's enough said, you know, but so <laughs> then the, uh, the surrounding culture is sort of like there's this theme of awakening from this civilized state this very mental construction of like and this is where it parallels real world stuff is like we live in a civilization that is formed of mental constructions that have been uh like made concrete on a very meta like meta level like culturally mm-hmm. and yet nature exists without all of that and so the contrast then and a certain kind of conflict arises when i think culturally well how would this divergent like 
nature-centric youth culture that's very loosely organized and sort of tribal in its quality, um, what would that look like and how would it relate to the more centralized city culture that also is quite beautiful in in its own way? Um, so that's a tangent, but that's like, this is how I... This is how I think. <laughs> yeah. I love hearing this, like this, this very intentional construction of worlds. And it's so interesting to hear this because it feels your, your art is very intuitive, but this is like where the structure comes. Um, and so I'm curious when you're looking at your own art and constructing these worlds, how does the art that you've created inspire you like what is it about the pieces that you've made that that helps form these worlds that you're you're talking about sure yeah and that's it varies you know on in some mm -hmm. instances it's like i'll paint something or draw something and then that's like oh you know it gives me an idea to shape you know it's like a window into something i haven't seen before <laughs> Um, in other instances, I can be a little more intentional, like this is dip more difficult for me, but it's something that I'm cultivating is like, well, I have this imagined idea for a character or a location, and I'll just sort of do this quick, like I'm intending to bring this character to life. And then, like, I'll start drawing. And so it's not, it's not like, oh, you know, like, I had these and bought them for my kids. And, you know, people use these things all the time. They're like, how to draw manga or how to draw fantasy characters. And it's a step by step, you know, very, it's quite technical when it, you know, when it comes down to it is like, the whole draw figure by making it seven heads tall or this is how you draw a hand or make your poses dynamic, you know? And I don't, that's really not how the art comes through for me. Right. So it's just more like a simple intention of, I'm going to draw this aspect of this thing I imagine, but that's new for me because I used to just, mm. it's more like a surrender. Like I just have so much inside me and I need to start drawing. And then yes. I'm like, Oh, look at that. That's cool. Um, so, I mean, I still do that, but now I have this other thing. And so when I start drawing something and look what comes out, then that's like that window, you know, that I mm. mentioned a little while ago. Like, oh, there's a window into this this character or this type of creature or this location. And then there's the, I already have the window sort of as like a thought form or an imagined thing. And then I think, well, I'm going to make it concrete. And one fun thing about that is that I'm realizing like, I can do that many times with the same character or idea and come up with different variations. And this is what people do when they like make 
you know, very imaginative movies and, uh, you know, character design, conceptual art. It's just like, well, let's try this. How does this look? What about this? Okay, now we really like this, this, and this. Let's bring those in and try again. So it's this refining sort of thing, which is pretty fun, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm saying all that. And I was like, I'm not quite sure because I think I'm at the beginning of that process where usually mm-hmm. it's just like, I'm just going to draw something and it's call it good, you know? And now it's like, I have this idea and that's cool and that's cool and that's cool, but like maybe I'll, it's like rough drafts. And then. Interesting. I love hearing this like evolution that your art is experiencing by combining two things that you are passionate about and are creatively channeling. You mentioned earlier talking about um, designing like cultures and creating these worlds around that. And I'm, I'm curious, has that always been a topic for you in your writing? Is that something that kind of also evolved over time or what is your inspiration there? Yeah, it's something that's been with me for a very long time, I think. And, you know, before I was a, like a really intentional practicing artist, I wanted to be a writer. And mm-hmm. the thing that I could, like, I can write poetry and that's fine because it's very similar to like make, you know, making a painting. But right. the, more intentional structure of like story and all of the elements of conflict and what to say and what to tell and what to leave out. And like, that's all been very challenging for me um, Mm -hmm. for a long time. So what I've sort of naturally defaulted to was this like larger sort of, kind of a blurrier picture in a way of like what does the society look like what because it, it's a really interesting to me like oh um what if it's some kind of like dirty industrial culture you know maybe a little bit like steampunk but like there's also mm-hmm. magic that's harnessed in different ways um or you know mashing up different like styles narrative not narrative styles but like uh genres is what i'm looking for so like Mm -hmm. i don't know let's take something like bright and shiny like fairies and then bring in like detective noir you know like (laughs) maltese falcon like gritty you know Mm -hmm. cigarette smoking detective and then like fairies and gnomes and well, yes. what happens when you bring those two things together and how does that work? And right. so, I mean, role-playing games are like fertile ground for this because then as I develop these games and invite people to play in them, like they'll mm-hmm. throw stuff at me that like I didn't. And, and so this is kind of part of my creative process is like, playing these games with people and this guy like 
having people come in and like, well, I want to play an elephant person who's a druid and like loves looking at the stars and is also a professor. And I'm like, I never would have thought of that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but the other characters in the story are working for this detective agency. So how do you come in? Like, how do we work you in? You know? And so that's what's a little easier for me is like connecting the threads mm -hmm. and not so much like thinking about the raw materials themselves of raw characters themselves. Um, but like, well, okay, Professor Elephant. Yes, of course, you know, these younger kids who are now working for this detective agency because they were your students. And now mm -hmm. you're all going to go solve a mystery together, you know, cue Scooby-Doo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but and that's a lot of fun. And then I get to like play act out like different characters myself so the employer for these detectives is that gritty hard-boiled chain-smoking kind of an asshole you know he's just kind of this gritty jerk um he's actually like physically has the the blood of a devil running through his veins you know but he's, mm. he's a nice guy too he wants to do right like he's just a little rough around the edges and then i get to think about like well how does he talk and of course he talks like this you know and he's like what come on why did you do that that was stupid you know you're not supposed to go that and do that mm. yeah it's fun I love hearing this collaborative element too, because it sounds like it's really feeding your creativity as a writer, as an artist. I think like, you know, sometimes role-playing games don't always get the the like shine that they should for being such creative like fountains because you are constructing a world, you are constructing people and events and like playing them out. Have you always been into role-playing games? Uh, like, is D&D &D, uh, kind of what got you into all of this? Yeah, yeah. So I was that kid when, like, in the 80s. And I don't know if you remember a store called, I think it was Walden Books. It, it may have been a different bookstore, like a B. Dalton or something. But, mm -hmm. like, you know, suburban kid walks into mall with parents on a Friday night or something. and. It's like all of a sudden I'm seeing this stuff that just I've never seen anything like that before. So I'm young, like eight or nine, but there's mm -hmm. this wall full of these old D and D modules. Of course, at the time they were, you know, cutting edge, brand spanking new. But they're the ones with like the really goofy art. If you've ever seen them, and and that's another thing, like that 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 I realize is like, well, part of what drew me into that this whole role-playing game you know thing is the art of it you know mm. and it's not just like the goofy art but then they, there are some really skilled artists who have lended their or sold their <laughs> their art to this yeah the mythology around dnd &D, the sort of um iconic nature of D&D &D and, and the different characters mm -hmm. in it. 
Um, so yes, from very young age, I was reading those rule books and they really started sparking my imagination. And I did. I was, I was a kid that like would be fine if I just sat in my bedroom with this stuff that I could imagine and just like write stuff out and draw maps. And, um, and one of the things that I really like about using that tool set now is not buying into like the canonical, the canonical stuff. So why <laughs> asking why, why are orcs evil? Why, why, what happens if, you know, we take this piece and tweak it in a way? Um, and so I think that is where a lot of like what you called shine, you know, it's like mm -hmm. there's a lot of creativity that can happen, but not if you just like buy a game as a product and play it out of the box and people like to do that and that's fine for them but that's not what i like to do i like this idea of just like having a an engine for the imagination and like mm. well why should all of these creatures will take orcs again be all always this way why can't some of them um, yeah, have formed relationship with fairies or other creatures and work closely in alignment with them and even have like mated with them and produced a new sort of race or species. Like, well, that's, let's drive down that road for a little while and see what comes up. Mm. And, the fun thing about having it be like a storytelling game, a role-playing game, is that you don't have to have all the answers. And when you bring other people into play, then that's like you're dealt. It's like I'm delegating in a way. Like, well, you you run with that, and let's see what happens. Um, well, isn't that interesting? Like, I didn't. I I never would have thought of that myself. So. Yeah. And there's a metaphor there too for like just being social and being a cooperative human being rather than, you know, this old story of competition and scarcity. It's like, mm. but what fertile ground we can have when we talk to each other and, you know, imagine together and it's not i'm not just talking games i'm talking like systems of care you know food system yes. medical attention you know like mm -hmm. why why that is the question that i always you know i think i probably flustered my parents quite a bit you know why 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 is it this way I don't like the answers that I heard a lot of times, so I just keep poking, asking it. And then if I don't get an answer that 
satisfies me, I'll just come up with my own, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. I love hearing that, that like spark. And I think it is beautiful how you brought it back talking about community because there is so much community and camaraderie that happens in role-playing games. It, I've often felt that when I played D&D way back in the day, there was never uh, a us versus them as much as a let's have fun. Like, let's take time to just have a good time and yeah. and come up with something interesting. And that's that's something that I think we we definitely need more of to kind of help us shift I love hearing this connection. Well, and that's, you know, a big part of what I do is reminding people to play. Mm. So like, you work too much. Come mm-hmm. play. And so that's been, since I started putting on different creative events about three years ago, maybe two, it's hard to think back and be like that was only two years ago but you know how these facebook stories are you know and they come back and it showed me my memory right. two years ago and i had collaborated with a friend to produce what she came up with a great little acronym cafe creative arts flow experience and that mm. was like we're just gonna bring in the kitchen sink and y'all have fun And so we brought in books and, you know, tools for creative writing. We brought in music for ecstatic dance and we brought Mm. in a ton of art supplies. And at the time, uh, there's an artist here in Roanoke who had this sort of gallery sort of studio space. And so we were able to borrow that from her for an afternoon and an evening and have this space to come together as a small community um, Mm -hmm. and just be together and play creatively. And I think just because in my own evolution, as a person, mm-hmm. like uninhibited and unconstrained creativity has been pivotal. That's why it's important for me to like remind people, but this, you can play, you can play. Mm-hmm. Don't forget you're a kid, you know, we're, we're always, people talk about like inner children and and then we're all spending so much time pretending to be adults. And who really wants to be an adult? Honestly, like it's quite boring, you know, when you get mm-hmm. down to like the time. I mean, there's certain things about it that are that are that are good, you know, like I'm glad people don't tell me what to do or, you know, like like we do with children. But then again, why? Why do we do that? Why is it that way? Mm-hmm. Um, you know. That's also like as a parent, <laughs> I can I can theoretically ask those big questions, and then like in my everyday, I can totally ignore them and be like, I have to be your parent, you know. So there's this right. I 
this complexity to it, but I'm sure that I've lost the question. Whatever you asked, I'm sure <laughs> you've left it far back there. No, I love I love where this is now. So question aside, I, you know, there seems to be really beautiful themes in, in this conversation and what, what really seems to spur you on. Lots of questioning what's happening or how things can be done differently and and how to share that with others. And so I know before we started recording, I asked like, you know, how classes were going, like you were teaching and you mentioned that you're not much of a teacher, but more of a space holder. And I would love for you to to open up more about that because I think that's really powerful and also a helpful distinction between the two, because you can be a space holder and a teacher, but sometimes there's the importance of just holding space. And I would love for you to share more about that. Mm -hmm. So that is a much more natural way for me to be than to tell people how to do something. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's another side of it, which is like, how do you hold a space? How do you facilitate somebody's creativity without giving a container for the space mm -hmm. without giving some instruction. Um, so this is my approach. So like the best example I have is when I facilitate ecstatic dance. And if I say anything, you know, if it's if there's some new faces, then I'll say something like, you know, I can't teach you how to dance because you already know how. And mm. then I emphasize that it's not even, so it's like when you breathe, right? Mm -hmm. People say, well, I'll breathe, inhale, exhale, as if we're performing this action, you know, but mm. you try to stop breathing and see how long that lasts, you know? And mm -hmm. think about that action and what's actually happening is like your body is a vessel for breathing, among other things. But that's part of its automatic functions to breathe. And part of our function as human beings is also to transform energy, to hold energy and then express it, to consume energy and then recycle it and bring it out, process it and bring it out in new forms. And that is what I like to emphasize. Like, so when I talk about dance, I tell people, you know, just start by being still and and if you want to, like, see how long you can stay still. And it doesn't have to be, like, not, like, in a rarely strict, like, Buddhist monk, I'm going to conquer my monkey mind sort of thing. Right. Which is really another conversation. But more of, like, okay, as I'm, so I'm going to take that 
metaphor of meditating. As I'm meditating, thoughts are arising. I'm not grasping onto them, but I'm also not suppressing them. So as mm -hmm. I'm sitting still and feeling like an urge to shift because I'm uncomfortable, well, then I'm going to go with that and I'm going to shift so that I feel more comfortable. And then I'll continue to move because this is dance after all, right? And so you just listen and feel into your body and also what's moving through your body. And so there's this whole sort of synergy of what is me and what is outside of me. And that of course dancing is a is a wonderful tool and metaphor for that whole energetic dance, right? I mean, I just mm -hmm. use the same word to basically define itself but we're always moving you know in relationship to the other and as we do that i don't know it's just like Exploring, exploring the mystery, I think. And so that's mm. very vague and nebulous. And what I try to do as a space holder is to just let people play. I know I've said that several times. Um, and yeah, so sometimes that has, in order to do that, I have to make certain definitions, but um immersing people in sound is is something that seems to work pretty well you know uh, whether it's art like visual art creation or of course dance you know it's like gives people something to focus on and that that is a container in and of itself and that's really all the instruction you need is to allow that to move through and stimulate you in whatever subjective way it stimulates you. And isn't that really cool that there could be 10 of us in a room hearing the same sound, but experiencing it in very different ways. Yeah. This sounds so deeply connected to your your creative self with visual art with writing it's really cool to hear how each of these expressive natures that you have and hold kind of overlap in your methodology or ideology that connection to what is me and what is outside of me I'm curious, what does your spiritual practice look like? Because this is, it, it all feels very spiritual as you speak it. Yeah. So my spiritual practice is wildly fluctuating. Mm -hmm. uh, it just depends on the time that I'm in. So when I was really, uh, sort of waking up and like 
pulling myself out of a long depression. I aim for a daily meditation and movement. Um, life is busy and that really at this point happens maybe three or four times a week, which I think is still good. Um, and then creating art is a spiritual practice for me and was really the driving force and the impetus for me to, uh, reclaim my own individuality my own voice and will after a long time of being numb of being uh just given up you know hope there's a lot of hopelessness for a long time Mm. that i had and I was like back in 2000, late 2019 was when I started drawing again. And I did so compulsively, like that was what got me up in the morning. That was what I began to heal myself with, you know, it's just, Mm -hmm. and that was this, we touched on earlier, like sort of this very, open-ended process of I am going to draw and see what comes out and so it's like that form of channeling you know and Mm -hmm. what came out at the time were themes like very like the same sort of images were coming up and so I was like well this is my soul you know this is this is important this is something that's coming through for it to be seen by me to be witnessed and integrated and mm-hmm. and so that's still a part of that practice for me is um it's it's a real fun part of my spirituality is opening up to the unconscious the depths and expressing them through visual art and then that then there's this process of refinement of like maybe what's so this is especially true in, in those early days of like maybe what's coming through right now is something that needs to be integrated that i need to embody that i need to um yeah take very seriously like in order to move forward as a human being yeah on that note i'm curious what was coming through in your art what what were you seeing um myself like so that was very early in my transition it felt like a force coming through that just needed expression and I continued to come through it needed expression and um it's a it was a pretty complex and, and overwhelming sort of thing and and I had known for 
I had consciously known for about 12 or 13 years at that point, like, I am some kind of gender variant uh, person. And when, and that's, that's an interesting place to be, you know, mm-hmm. like, well, what does this mean? Especially when you're, yeah, when for anyone, it's, it's, what do I do with that? Um, right. And so art allowed me sort of, it was like a fast track at that point. Like it was what I needed to guide me forward. Um, I processed the world in different ways. Some of it, a lot of it early on was through reading, mm. reading different thinkers that lived far outside the box of, you know, conventional society. Mm-hmm. And, and through writing. And then I realized as I was starting to practice art regularly, like, well, this is like a fast track. This is, you know, I can spend less time doing something creative and get amazing results, like insights. Mm-hmm. Um, so whereas like you, if I would read something, it would take me however long, weeks, uh, months maybe, and then allowing that to like, filter within me and digest percolate whatever um and then writing you know because then you're like reconciling what this other person has written this other person thinks and theorizes and you're reconciling it with your own personal truth and then that often requires either deep conversations with people who are reading similar things which I didn't have, you know, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit, but not much. Or just basically journaling or creating, writing essays, you know, uh, to get everything straight. And so that's, my point is that's a time-consuming process. Right. Not a judgment, just a, a statement of my experience of it. Like that takes a long mm-hmm. time. And then I realized I can get similar results by doing visual art and that takes less time and leads to insights of kind of a different nature, mm. but same, like similar. Um, and so it just, it felt like, it felt like if you had been playing t-ball and then all of a sudden you were playing baseball, you know, it's like, mm-hmm you've moved on to something that's got more force or power. And then I remembered, or I'd never really forgotten it, but so back in 2005-ish, I discovered ecstatic dance and that was one of these things that was just like, I had no, it just, 
it just grabbed me. Like I was mm-hmm. literally walking down the street. I had just walked out of a coffee shop and like had a nice latte and just walking down the street. And then I see this flyer and I'm like, for some reason I was just like, what is that? And then it said ecstatic dance and talked about a little bit what that is. And it had it's one of those flyers had like the little things that are cut and you, like, yeah. you take the thing. I was like, yoink. <laughs> and then I realized, well, oh, this flyer is for a dance studio that's just right here. And mm. I had never like if you had told me earlier that day that this would be happening and that I would be finding this flyer and then walking up the stairs to this dance studio and talking to a woman that I'd never met before about something that I'd just seen on a wall. Like I would have been like, okay, that I don't, not that I don't believe you. I just, I don't really expect that to happen to me today, you know? Right. And so, and I did that and, I, I st- like still like telling the story like why like what is it about that experience that I just you know it's like sometimes your soul just says I'm taking over this is what we're doing this is it mm-hmm. you're, you know I stop thinking about it you're just doing this and for whatever reason I guess I'm pretty good about getting out of the way when that happens and so I was like okay let's go do this and so I met this woman and her name I think was Shelby and she every week or two she was doing ecstatic dance in her dance studio and this was like pre-transition and I was just like hi I want to come in and do this and it was all women up there and but she was so kind and just so like okay yeah we need more people you know um please come. And so, Mm -hmm. so she taught me ecstatic dance and then we moved. That was in Washington state. And then we moved to Virginia and I didn't have it here until around this time that I'm telling you about where I was, you know, graduating from perceiving the world through digesting the written word and writing to perceiving the world and and understanding myself through visual art and then Mm -hmm. once I was on that track I was like I I need to dance and so Mm -hmm. then I very quickly like reached out to somebody the same woman I was telling you about before who had the art studio in the gallery where we did the cafe creative arts flow experience um this was before that actually and I reached out I didn't even know she had the studio at the time and I said you know Polly do you know anyone anywhere because she's well connected in in our community I was like that would have space for me to offer this ecstatic dance and she was like well yeah I have a studio you should and we have space for it there why don't you come and do it Oh, and by the way, there are other people that are offering this here in Roanoke. And I was like, wait, what? And mm-hmm. so it was one of those things where it was just like, that time is right for this. And my point in telling this story is that this is like tears of artistic um, em- embodiment or artistic like 
self-realization for me it's like mm-hmm. and again no judgment implied but like i guess it's just, it's just gonna sound that way like least efficient reading and writing yet incredibly crucial you know like mm-hmm. if i hadn't been so dissatisfied with everything and sought outside of the traditional educational system to make sense of the world I wouldn't have completed step one you know that was step one and step two visual art and then step three is dance and so to this day like when I dance it's just I'm moving so much energy and I'm moving energy when I do any kind of art but to move and transform energy super efficiently at least in my experience and my recommendation to anyone move your body like just move your body and Mm. also like be aware that that's a beautiful gift to be able to do that as a human being and you know one of the things that is always in my mind is that my father suffered from multiple sclerosis i still can't say that word so it was a say Mm. ms and he lost the ability to move his body he lost the ability to walk and um it's easy to take it for granted you know like i yeah i'm not always at the forefront of my mind but when i think about that it's just like what a gift It's beautiful to hear all of this as well. Just understanding these like different layers, almost like of an onion or like as you are peeling back these layers of of what serves you and what really nourished your journey. I just really think it's so beautiful and a great example about the healing power of art. Like expression is such a healing art And that can be in so many ways. Like it sounded like, you know, writing was crawling for you. Painting or drawing was walking and dancing was when you were able to like run with it and, and like enter in fully because these are also layers. These different art forms are also different, just layers of human expression and how we can integrate that. And I think, you know, as, as visual artists, they're, they're often, we are often good at, you know, finding expression in different ways, even if we don't share it, whether that's through music making or um, writing poetry, there's, there's so many different methods of human expression that are, are really healing. And so I'm curious for you right now, after hearing all of, all of this journey, what does the future look like for you? Or what is, um, you know, we started this with what you're currently working on. What are you dreaming up for for the next steps? Well, as you were sort of, yeah, as you were speaking and you were mentioning those three progressive layers, I was realizing or remembering again like well there's a fourth layer that i'm coming into that i never 
you know, really thought would be my thing. And that's singing. And I've I've played instruments of various sorts for my whole life. Um, I do it in my own way. I don't really... It's just this... This may sound familiar and be a theme for, you know, this interview, but I don't really do well with instruction, whether it's giving or receiving. So mm. I try to, like, but really what works for me is, well, it's what works for me is what I offer people, you know, and I think that's why I offer it is mm. I want to say it's okay to just be free and do the thing as it comes through you whatever the thing is and so you know one of the wonderful things about Roanoke where I live is that we have so many artists and people of various artistic ability and persuasion and one of the communities that we have here is a singing and drumming community um and i've been sort of on the periphery of that for a couple of years Mm. and a couple of friends of mine just wonderful wonderful joyful women who just sing and do what i try to do but they do it with singing and they offer this is a methodology it's called circle singing and so they every month meet with people in a public space in a park usually or sometimes it's inside if it's cold and it's sort of this round robin approach to singing like the facilitator will do uh well there's different ways that they roll it out but what I remember from the couple of times that I've been was so you'll have a circle of people and then you'll have a facilitator in the middle and she'll be doing something like bop, 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 and pointing at somebody and they're going to do that now. And so they start doing and then moving on to the next person and pointing at the next person and being like, so you have, and that's continuing on that's just looping that's one person just doing that and then on top and then you have like 10 people and you can get these very complex and intricate sounds happening just from people doing pretty simple phrases of music so all of that to say that Yes, we've talked about art as a spiritual practice, art as a force of healing. And if you've had any kind of ears open to like different esoteric spirituality stuff, then you've probably heard of sound as medicine. And to Mm. create your own vibration through your own voice is, I believe, very powerfully healing. And so that's that's my that's where I'm pushing my creative envelope now. And 
at first I started doing it alone in the house when nobody else was here and I just go <laughs> and then like mm-hmm. you know sort of this it's I, I don't sing in English it's just like sounds and liquid language and then I was like waking up in the morning and like needing to move some energy like do do I dare do it while my children are in the house? Do I dare do it while my wife is here? And it's not like, oh, what will they think of me? It's just more of like, that's kind of weird. I've not done that before, you know? Am I going yeah. to introduce this extra level of woo into my family dynamic? Mm-hmm. Well, yes, I believe that I am. And now... <laughs> that I've been doing it for a couple of months, I noticed very quickly that as I did it, my kids started doing it. Uh... That they, and they're, they're not little kids. They're almost, you know, they, they just turned 11. So it's like for yourself yeah. <laughs> and other people will follow your example. And, and I don't, necessarily know that they know that they're doing it sometimes you know it's just like that's really cool yeah that's just like the magic of being a kid just being able if you see it being embraced you it's the permission the permission slip is there you're you're welcome to enter uh that's so cool i love like so many layers of creative expression on your journey. And with that, I would love for you to share with everyone listening where they can connect with you, um, follow you and continue with you on this journey of blooming. Um, Probably the best point, best place at this point is to point them to my website, www.com. I am charlotterra.com. We will write that out and put it in the description somewhere. Yes. Um, I do have Instagram and Facebook, but I also am realizing like I feel better when I don't do social media. And. Mm which is another growth edge for me, you know, especially like with the pandemic, I think we all like, this is a lifeline, you know, social media. This is how I connect with people. And I just noticed unhealthy patterns in my own process of thinking, like, (laughs) why aren't you paying attention to me? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, well, you know what? Take a break. And Mm -hmm. so I uninstalled apps for my phone Mm. and, you know, it's like a detox. The first little bit, it's like, oh, right. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going to do that. Um, And then it's just like, oh, good. You know, I didn't fragment my day that way today. So, yeah. Although I do still have those social medias, I'm trying not to be very active on them. So what my plan then is, because we talked earlier about plans, um, 
with mm. the game stuff that I'm developing that's beginning to go on my website. So at this point, you can go on there and find, I think, I, I think I've entitled it something like Geese, G-H-E-A-S is the name of the world. But it, as I'm saying it out loud, it sounds like geese flying. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, okay, well, that's something to deal with. But uh, the dreaming, so the, that's, you can click on that tab and then you'll have some little snippets of story seeds. Awesome. Well, thank you, Charlotte. It was an absolute pleasure. And yeah, I can't wait to check out these amazing worlds you're building. Thank you so much, Lauren.